Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Deck maintenance isn't fun. Move the furniture and barbecue, sand and prep, paint, seal, or get a low-maintenance Trex deck. The only colour fade you'll have to deal with is watching the sunset. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Thanks to GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to the first serve on this uh, Monday, the 22nd of August, as we cover the world of tennis. Uh, Brett Phillips in the chair tonight. Your calls are always welcome. one 736 736 Your texts as well. 0433981116 on the Tennis Direct text, if you don't mind. You can visit tennisdirect.com.au. Get that nice little 10% discount. They'll deliver to you wherever you are. Australia-wide, free delivery on orders over $150. So just head to their website. You'll get everything. Racket, accessories, uh, tennisdirect.com.au. Coming up tonight, our usual tour wrap of the uh, trophy winners and all the top performers of the past week. Our special guest will be Tracy Davies, uh, USTA Managing Director of Competition, to take a look at uh, their competitive pathway in light of all the uh, discussions we've had this year around our very own competitive pathway with a full rollout of the UTR rating and a few other things are, are bubbling around uh, tonight. But we are uh, one week out from the final major of the year, the US Open in New York, a time where you want to be certainly hitting your straps. Bonacoric is the champion in Cincinnati. A first Masters title for the Croats. It is a fairy tale run after the injury problems. A year away from competitive tennis, eight months of rehab. And the emotion spills over the third trophy of his career, but by far the most significant after everything he's been through. It's his first since 2018. Congratulations, an incredible accomplishment. Your last Masters 1000 final, 2018. You've been through so much, especially in the last year. Are you able right now in this moment to appreciate what you've been able to accomplish this week? No, no, absolutely not. You know, I'm, uh, I'm just still not aware of it. Obviously, it's, uh, it was a very, very tough match. At the beginning, I was... I was not playing very well, and uh, and, uh, and he was just pushing me, you know, very hard. So I I didn't have anything to do, but uh, I started to serve better. I started to play much much better. You know, I was I was fighting very hard, and then in the second set, I thought I played the, I played the best set of the whole year. Well, welcome back, Borna, to uh, the big time. Borna Chorich has always been very uh, technically equipped. Uh, made an impression on this sport as a very young man. Took a couple of big scalps as an 18-year-old. Had a really tough uh, 12 months out with uh, injury. He came back, I think it was about uh, Indian Wells time this year, but uh, the ranking had plummeted, had to play a lot of challenges. In fact, he wouldn't have got into uh, Cincinnati in the last week without the protected ranking, which um, I think was down around 20-odd, but his ranking uh, was 152. 
uh, the benefit of winning a Masters 1000. You go up, what, 123 spots he's gone to be back inside the top 30. So uh, terrific win today to beat Stefanos Tsitsipas. Uh, certainly early doors, Tsitsipas looked like he was going to uh, run away and win in straight sets. He got the early buffer. Uh, Chorich just started to serve better, uh, worked his way back into the match. Former world number 12, so the guy can play. Noted about that, the Croatian, who uh, is uh, maybe set for uh, the best period uh, in tennis that he's had. Uh, now that he's got over the injuries, he's a little bit more mature and um, a little bit more seasoned uh, in the game. So he uh, defeats Tsitsipas uh, comprehensively in that first set tiebreaker and then ran away in the second set six games to two. So... Uh, terrific win, uh, Pass. He just can't uh, crack uh, the hard courts for a Masters 1000 win. Mark Filipus is sitting in the coaching box uh, today alongside his father. Uh, we'll talk about uh, off-court coaching a little bit later on uh, in the program. A couple of other talking points. Obviously, uh, uh, Nick Kyrgios is not going to have a, a, a great week every week. No player has a great week every week on tour. Went out to Fritz in the second round, 6-3-6-2. Demon Hall went out to Felix Auger-Aliassime in the second round. Just one young man I want to mention that's worth keeping an eye on. A lefty, I've watched a lot of him on the Challenger circuit in the last 12 months. 19-year-old American, uh, Ben Shelton, who defeated Casper uh, Ruud, one of the hottest players in the game in the top five. 19-year-old, uh, as I mentioned, he's a big boy, 193 centimetres, uh, 229 uh, coming in and jumps up 58 spots to 171. He was 500-odd at the start of the year. He's missed a fair bit of tennis uh, this year, but uh, 22 players the United States have in the top 200, and he's the youngest, and uh, one we need to just uh, put a little asterisk next to. Uh, the other Aussie was Thanasi Kokonakis, who was always probably going to be up against it, taking on Yannick Sinner in the first round, but uh, pushed him all the way, the 10th uh, seed, 6-7, uh, 6-4, six, 7-6, seven, six, seven, six. so... Uh, not a bad performance uh, from uh, Thanasi. But uh, Borna Chorich, um, again, has put himself uh, back on the tennis map after being in the wilderness with injury for uh, 12 months and having to uh, work his way back. Uh, the doubles uh, won by Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. They've been a good combination, uh, this pair. They've won an Australian Open, uh, seventh uh, to a title as a team. They're third at Masters uh, 1000 level. And, well, the week after, he wasn't picked in the Australian Davis Cup team, John Pearce and... Dan Evans, who'd made the final the week before in Montreal, went out in the first round. So you don't have it your way every single week. one 736 736 Very happy to take your calls tonight. Duncan's in the heart of Melbourne, which is extremely wet uh, tonight for those uh, down here where we are broadcasting the first serve. Duncan, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, BB. How are you? Uh, going well. What do you got for us? Um, I have been listening to your show for over four years. Uh, this is my first call. I Welcome. am kind of a little bit nervous. You'll be right. You'll be right. You're uh, on the air. What do you got for us? So I'm, I'm a question regarding uh, Sabrina Williams. Yep. Um, everybody knows she's, she's retiring uh, this year. I just want to know what, what's, your, what's your opinion how long she can uh, go to uh, US Open? Well, yeah, that's a, it's going to be a huge story, isn't it, Duncan? In a, in a week's time, uh, playing her final uh, tournament, and probably quite fitting. Although I've got to say, New York and Serena Williams, it hasn't uh, hasn't been her happiest hunting ground. I mean, it's been some of her most controversial moments have come at the U.S. Open. I don't know, it's the extra pressure of playing at home, but I think that's where she wanted to sign off. I can tell you, having spoken to the USTA in the last three days, they have sold out uh, Monday night on Arthur Ashe and Tuesday night on Arthur Ashe. Uh, we don't know which night she'll play until the draw comes out 
uh, later this week, and we don't know who she'll play. I mean, if you look at her match against Emma Raducanu, uh, a bagel second set um, in the last week in uh, Cincinnati, uh, it wasn't great, was it? I mean, look, you know, she's well past her prime. Uh, I mean, everyone would love her to see, love to see her have a Jimmy Connors type run. Uh, of course, we uh, I'll never get that out of my mind. Jimmy Connors, thirty nine. Uh, what did he make that year? Uh, semi-final, I think, at uh, the age, uh, what, 1991, at the age of 39. It was extraordinary. I can't see Serena uh, going on that sort of tear. But uh, we'd love her to maybe win uh, a round or two and uh, just whip the New York crowd into a frenzy and actually go out playing some of the fighting uh, tennis that uh, is so renowned for uh, Serena Williams. So we'll have to uh, have to wait and see, Duncan, but... Yeah, really appreciate your call. Uh, and call again, please. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Our whip around tonight on tour with thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. You can learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorse, inquire and enrol at AATC.tennis. Well, Cincinnati had a a men's winner in Borna Chorich. And I've got to say, the form of um, the player who won on the female side is something to take a bit of notice of heading to uh, the US Open next week. So sweet for Caroline Garcia in Cincinnati. Sensational. Qualifying to title winner. Absolutely extraordinary. Eight matches in nine days. And a superb performance against the former world number two. What a moment for Caroline Garcia. This has been a long, long time coming. Her biggest title in five years. And she has kept her cool throughout a testing week. Three top ten wins and another superb display to claim this huge, huge event. It's hard to believe uh, I am standing here today. You know, it's been such a week. It was a tough week for, for all of us. Thanks for drying the court so many times. I would like to, to thanks as well um, my family and friends uh, watching from TV. I mean, my parents have been following me and pushing me since I'm a very young kid. We had some tough times, tough decision, but uh, they are supporting me, supporting my game style. Doesn't matter what people are saying. Uh, I'm very proud uh, to have them behind me, and I'm thinking a lot about them today. Oh, I love listening to uh, the French. Any uh, time, uh, Caroline Garcia, former world number four, title number 10, so five years since she's made a 1,000 uh, final. Uh, she's changed the service action a couple of times. Her uh, her father was her long-time coach before uh, they decided just to be uh, father and daughter. She's always, like all the French players, been uh, technically well-equipped. Uh, maybe over the years, at times, the service got the yips. Wouldn't be the first one in professional tennis to do that. But she, at the moment, is uh, playing some very, very solid tennis and a, a bit of a danger. She's got experience, and who knows? We always talk about how open... The women's draw is, and that'll be the case heading to New York uh, this week. So beats uh, next week, uh, beats Petra Kvitova in the final, uh, two and four. Uh, Igish Fiontek's an interesting watch at the moment. The world number one, she's the world number one by a long way. So she's got um, she's got runs on the board, so to speak, to borrow another uh, sporting analogy. But 
Is she a Monty to win the US Open? Certainly not. I mean, if you look at her performances, so she went out to Madison Keys, who we know when she's on, she's on. Three and four in the round of 16 at Cincinnati in the last week. Round of 16, Toronto, previous to that. Quarterfinal on home soil at the Poland Open. Third round, Wimbledon. So they've been the result since she won at Roland Garros and had that incredible winning streak. So it was never going to last the entire year. Uh, but her results have just come back to the pack a bit, which makes uh, the US Open a fascinating watch over the next two weeks. Ola Tomlanovic, a quarterfinal from an Australian point of view. So it takes a really good scalp in Bedosa, who's been one of the hottest uh, female players on tour in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, two years. So it's a good scalp for Isla. We know she's capable of more, and we say it uh, quite often that uh, she's got the game that can certainly go a lot higher in the rankings. And we touched on Serena earlier uh, going at uh, Emma Redekano, who then lost her next match to the uh, uh, inform uh, Jessica Bagula. But that will give Emma Redekano some confidence. Uh, last year's US Open winner, which we're still uh, digesting how she actually uh, did that. The doubles uh, taken out by Ludmilla Kitchenok and uh, my favourite, uh, Yelena Ostapenko. Don't want to get uh, Yelena on the, in a bad mood, but uh, she was in a very, very good mood uh, winning this tournament. Uh, the biggest team title of that pair, they're going nicely. Also one on the grass at Birmingham. They made a final in Dubai and Eastbourne this year. Uh, semis of Wimbledon and Roland Garros. So nice work. Uh, that was, of course, over the Aussie, Ellen Perez, uh, who's uh, a finalist two weeks in a row at 1,000 level. So let's take the positive out of that. It's a big step up for Ellen. She's got her ranking now to 28, so inside the top 30. And maybe uh, maybe the next step is to win one of these uh, events. Uh, there was also a WA, WTA 125 being played in Vancouver. Now, one of our great listeners, uh, Harry Manners, I don't know if he'll be listening, H, he actually put us on to Stefanos Tsitsipas. And we got a chat uh, with Stefanos and his father on this show about three or four years ago. But he always told me about a young Greek girl called uh, Valentini uh, Gramitikopoulou. Now, she was a qualifier in the last week, second-ranked Greek female player behind Maria Sakari. As she goes up 96 spots to 143. She was coming here as a junior, going down to Terelgan, uh, playing the junior uh, ITF and uh, just trying to make her way. Uh, 25 now, and uh, the second-ranked Greek player, as I mentioned. So, great result to come through qualifying. Uh, we see that uh, quite a bit. Uh, you can go on our website and check out the ATP Challenger reps. There's some uh, fascinating results. There's a lot of uh, players on the men's side who are making their way up the rankings. Just one, the French always uh, produce uh, players, don't they? Uh, Constant Lestien, who is the fifth seed. Now, right here and now, if uh, you were doing uh, the rankings for the US Open, he'd be main draw. But because the cutoff is six weeks ago... Uh, he was outside uh, the cutoff mark, which means I think he'll be almost the first seed in qualifying uh, starting this week. Even though he's ranking, as of today, he's 75 in the world. He's gone from 228 at the start of the year. So he's a 30-year-old who's having uh, his best performances a little bit later on. So everyone goes on a, a different journey. But he's a third title uh, since July at challenger level. J.P. Smith. And uh, three Huey, one of the greats, uh, Huey, from uh, the Philippines, who haven't produced a lot of players. But JP and he finished uh, runner-up at uh, Vancouver in the uh, Challenger. And another shout-out to uh, Adam Walton, the young Australian, who was having a little chat with uh, this morning. Uh, he said it felt like 44 degrees in Cancun, in Mexico, yesterday. It was about 32, 85% humidity. 
Uh, of course, has come through the college system into the pros. He's 24 and 4 since June. Two trophies, a finalist, twice semi finalist. Uh, he went uh, runner up uh, yesterday. He'll play one more week in Cancun and then head to Darwin and Cairns. So he'll be back on Australian soil to play a couple of the, uh, the big. Uh, ITF. So that is all the news happening on tour. Thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre. It's a little mini Melbourne park in Melbourne's north. Uh, it's got tennis for everyone. Perfect also for coaches and players if you're coming from interstate to train and compete. Close to Melbourne Airport. Accommodation available. Find out more at humetennis.com.au Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com The first serve. Your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. Brett Phillips with you tonight. Happy to take your tennis calls. one 736 736 Mark on the Tennis Direct text. Uh, when does the US Open at Flushing Meadows start? Well, Mark, it'll be 1am uh, uh, next Tuesday morning, uh, live on the screens of uh, Channel 9 and uh, Stan Sport, all the way through to whenever the night session finishes, which we know in New York... And I was there the year that John Millman beat uh, Roger Federer, which finished, what, about 2am in the morning, where we saw Roger sweat uh, profusely for the first and only time in his uh, career. And I think John uh, came into press about 2.33am. I jumped on the subway at about 3.34, and you would think it was 3.34 o'clock in the afternoon. There were uh, that many people around. So uh, just on that, US Open qualities this week. So it'll see the return of Alexander Vukic, the Australian. The next one is trying to crack the top 100, about 1.30 at the moment. Uh, Mark Polmans, who's been out for quite some time, but to use his protected ranking. Uh, Max Purcell and alternate at this stage. Andrew Harrison alternate. Whether they might, or maybe Purcell is second alternate, whether he squeezes in uh, this week. And then on the girls' side, we expect Inglis, Hon, Sharma, Cabrera, Mendes and Beryl all to play qualities. Uh, Olivia Kadecki and Zoe Hives have uh, withdrawn. So we know the main draw, Demonor, Kyrgios, Kokonakis, Popper and Duckworth, Millman, Thompson, Kubler, O'Connell, and uh, Rinky Hijikata uh, getting the wild card. Jamie Foolis getting the wild card on the female side. We'll have Tom Lanovich and Saville, of course, in the main draw. Just on, on wild cards, I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been thinking about it all year, but more and more in the last week. So as I mentioned, uh, Hijikata and Foolis secure uh, one of the upcoming US Open uh, reciprocal wild cards, which is the deal between... Tennis Australia and the USTA. Now, as I said, I've thought more and more about this, and I've waxed and waned. It was a hot topic at the start of the year. Who should get wild cards into the Australian Open? Uh, Roddy Reynolds, one of our writers, uh, wrote a, a really fascinating piece. I would scrap wild cards into the majors. Full stop. In the case of Australia, the US, Great Britain and France hosting the four slams who can pick home players, I'd also scrap the reciprocal agreement between the Australian Open the US Open and the French Open, and that is nothing, of course, nothing personal against Jamie Foolis and Ricky Hijikata. I'm enjoying their ride and earning their stripes. I've dealt with both, and uh, they're, they're terrific. And I love the way they go about their tennis. But I believe firmly now that those players should get there on their performance merits, not be handed a spot in the main draw of a slam ahead of players who are ranked better. Now, two events I can handle, uh, but not the majors. Earn your spot by your ranking, either being good enough to make the main draw cut or win your way through qualifying where your ranking is good enough to qualify for qualifying. That is how I believe it should be because here in Australia, we get an upper hand. Now, I haven't gone through every result for you know 10 years plus, but how many of our Australians have really taken advantage 
of those wild cards in a uh, big way. Uh, the Davis Cup, now obviously the announcement came after we went off air last week. We were uh, pondering uh, what was going to happen. So the final team for the group stage matches in Hamburg in less than a month now. So Alex Dimonor was always going to pick himself. The Nasi Kokonakis, if Kyrgios wasn't going to play, he's the next in line. And as we found out, Nick made himself unavailable. And then Ebden Purcell, when you win Wimbledon, you've got to get the nod, don't you? I think we said that a few times. I, I, I do feel for John Pears. He's our number one doubles player. He's a specialist in doubles. He has been for quite some time, and he's been a real um, stable part of that Australian team. But we need a pairing where it might come down to the deciding doubles to actually uh, get through uh, these best of threes in the group stages. So Kubler and Poprin will travel with the team as well to be part of the extended squad. But, yeah, disappointing from a Nick point of view. Now, I mean, look, I don't know how much of it is personal. No doubt he has stated um, that his mum and his dad aren't that well. He is keen to get home, not making himself available for the Labor Cup. Uh, but, gee, we could have done with him. I, I, don't know, I don't know how Australia maybe wins the Davis Cup uh, without uh, Nick Kyrgios, but we'll... Uh, certainly have to uh, wait and see. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Pete's up in the Harbour City in Sydney. Uh, great to have you back on the show, Peter. G'day, Brett. How are you, mate? I am exceptionally good. Yeah. Now, I was just disappointed. The other the other week, I happened to be around the um, Rushcutters Bay, Edgecliff area, and I noticed White City there. So I thought I'd just pop in and have a bit of a walk around. And I actually went inside to the main stadium. It's still standing, but it's very sad to see the way it looks. Um, I don't know if you're... Yeah. Familiar, I've had much history with it. Well, not living. But I used to, as a kid, used to always go and see the New South Wales Open there, and yeah. um, used mm. to catch a train. and And it's just, uh, you know, there's the. I think there's still stand, uh, still uh, seats from the from the 1940s, and uh, I just had a look inside and had a bit of nostalgia, but also a bit of sadness. What's is there any plans to do anything with it, uh, Peter? I don't know. It's owned by the Hakoa Tennis Club, and there is still. Uh, they still play tennis in the outside, some of the outside courts. Yeah. Uh, and even probably the courts inside as well. There's two courts. And, um, yeah, so I think there might still be tennis played. But uh, some of those stands have been there for probably 70 years, you know. And uh, I, I'm not sure of any plans. I know John, uh, John Alexander once wanted to um, mm. invest in it, I think. Mm. But that went nowhere. And then... Um, yeah, so okay. it was just sort of, it was just sort of brought back memories, you know, those all those years I used to go and see the New South Wales Open played there. No doubt. Hey, Peter, I'm going to jot that down as a to-do list item this week. I'll make a phone call and and bring you some news on the show next week. We might even see if we can talk to someone around White City because, yeah, absolutely. As a, when you think about Sydney and you think about uh, tennis venues, that is iconic and. Uh, and and the great uh, tennis that it uh, produced over so many years, mate. Thank you for your call. Let me jot that down as a. A little bit of homework to chase up. Uh, where are we this week? Uh, Winston-Salem. I was watching uh, a bit of that today. John Millman had a first-up victory. Uh, Chris O'Connell, uh, Kokonakis and Duckworth will play each other. Popperin's in the draw. Kubler is in the draw as well. So the final tune-up uh, for a lot of our Australian men. Matty Ebden will be in the doubles. Uh, Daria Saville had a good win uh, today. Uh, Dasher uh, replaced at the bottom of the draw Alison Van Utvenk, who had to uh, pull out. So she became the ninth seed effectively and uh, got through three and three today. Jamie Foolis is also in that draw. And I think Jordan Thompson is uh, playing 
a challenger this week. Uh, that's in uh, Canada. So Tomo gets a hit as well. Ellen Perez and Sam Stoza will uh, tune up playing some uh, doubles. So, yeah, there's uh, plenty of Aussies uh, certainly tracking around. There's a few on the challenger circuit, uh, which we'll uh, keep uh, a very close eye on. And just the other one I wanted to touch on tonight is off-court coaching. Uh, so Nick Scott wrote a great article on our website across the weekend, thefirstserve.com.au. We know the WTA has had... Uh, coaching for some time. The ATP have been uh, trialling it. Uh, So the definition goes for both the ATP and the WTA. The WTA has had it in place since 2020. Verbal and non-verbal coaching will be allowed as long as it does not interrupt a player or hinder the opponent. Uh, Verbal coaching will only be allowed when the player is at the same end of the court as his or her coach. Traditionally, different pro players have used their support crew for different reasons. Some hurl abuse, others have a chat. Okay, so it's uh, usually because they have something about which to complain, still others uh, just use their support crew for a, a fist pump or other uh, other gestures of encouragement. Now, since 2020, and for the last half of the 2022 season on the ATP Tour, any interaction can now include coaching, uh, provided it falls within the bounds of the above uh, definitions. So it's a really um, uh, fascinating uh, article Now, Nick has certainly gone to the side that, in his opinion, for several reasons, he believes that uh, it shouldn't be allowed. And I'll just give you one of those. Number one, it refutes the, uh, he refutes the argument that tennis should fall into line with other sports. Every time I hear this argument, I can hear my mother saying, if your friends jumped off the Harbour Bridge, would you? Now, there's been a couple of player uh, responses to all of this. Taylor Fritz, Uh, The American in Cincinnati in the last week just called it a a dumb rule. Tennis is an individual sport. Why are we wanting, uh, why are we making it uh, not an individual sport? A huge part of tennis is, in my mind, like as uh, tennis is much mental as it is physical. And a big part of it is that you need to be figuring out the court for yourself. You need to be the one figuring it out. He's a little old school. Daniil Medvedev doesn't mind it. Would love you to weigh in. uh, The first serve, SCN at gmail.com. How are you seeing uh, the uh, the off-court coaching? We've got a little bit longer with our US Open show next week to spend on that, but uh, Nick Scott wrote a great article. Check it out at thefirstserve.com.au. Speaking of the US, we're going to head there next. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first server. We've spoken quite a bit around the rollout of UTR, Universal Tennis Rating, within the restructured competitive events calendar here in Australia this year. Used to determine entry and seating and grading, uh, of course, uh, foregoing the Australian ranking system. It's drawn uh, plenty of commentary, fierce debate, as you know, here in Australia as to its implementation. I thought we'd uh, take a look at the US and what they're doing. Uh, Tracy Davies is the USTA Managing Director of Competition, which includes juniors, collegiate, adult competition, as well as ratings and rankings for their pathway. Now, Tracy was a collegiate player, has been a USTA Player Development National Coach, ITF Touring Coach, a Player Development Coach for the South African Tennis Association, and a WTA Private Coach with a variety of top female junior players transitioning into the professional ranks. I caught up with Tracy across the weekend to talk about the USTA competitive pathway and their implementation of the ITF World Tennis Number as opposed to the Universal Tennis Rating. In my position, in my role, I report uh, direct to Craig Morris as the CEO of Community Tennis. We both started together uh, in about 2016, 2017, 
And we really started there looking closely at competitive tennis in the U.S. uh, and the pathway. Strange enough that I'm talking about this from five or six years ago, uh, we did just have a new PAC study come out uh, in the U.S. where we've had an increase of almost 5 million players, new U.S. players from 2019 to 21. But five or six years ago, this was not the case. I will tell you, we have always been fairly good at bringing new players into the pathway. Uh, But our retention rates uh, for the last 10 years have been around 35 to 40%, the lowest in youth sports in the U.S. at that time. Uh, And really, we were focusing on mainly the top 2% uh, of our competitive players. We had about 200,000 players uh, out of 4 million kids that pick up a racket in the U.S. And again, that was consistent over 10 to 15 years. Um, So we decided we did a year-long research project in the U.S., and it was specifically about looking at why players drop out and don't stay in our competitive pathway. Uh, And the findings were really fairly straightforward. Um, We didn't really have a clear development pathway uh, for players and parents. Uh, Our players were getting too competitive too quickly at the entry and intermediate levels. There was too much pressure. Uh, Players not being in level, playing up, uh, the lack of skill development really for competitive success. Uh, And there was a very clear voice from players and parents and coaches. They wanted more team, more social, more fun. So it really got back to that we were only, like I said, catering to almost the top 2%, the kids that really, really wanted to go to college or play pro tennis. So Craig and I and the team really tried to reimagine our competitive structure. And we started with what we call an American development model. And it really just looked at competition a little differently, Brad. It was more, um, what's the framework for keeping a player in the game for a lifetime? How can we look at holistic development of the athlete? Um, How do we develop a pathway that's customizable based on the needs and goals of that player? So I can, you know, don't want to go through the entire pathway with you, but I can bring out a few examples. For instance, entry level and tenant under, uh, we focused on more team for entry level players. Uh, We got rid of rankings and ratings for tenant under, uh, and we really looked at progression for that age Uh, based on skill development, participation, and a little bit of competition. And then when they went up to our intermediate level, say 11 to 18 and under, uh, we had a bit of a mess. We have 17 sections in the U.S. We had almost 65 levels of national ranked tournaments. (laughs) And we aligned that all into seven national levels, one ranking system, one set of formats, one set of points, and a very simple duration to get players started in the game. Uh, to really ease players into competition. And just the last two pieces I want to mention here, uh, parent education, we're we're still very focused on uh, being a resource to our parents to help them navigate. Uh, If we're giving them choices and we're allowing them to have some say in how the player develops through the pathway, we want to make sure they have information on competition, training, uh, mental health, uh, and just really find uh, resources that fit, um, fit the player's needs. And then finally, the last piece I'll just mention is the ITF World Tennis Number. This was really a missing link for us. We didn't do a very good job at local level-based play in the past. We were all about very intense competition, a lot of pressure. So I think we're going to be talking about it a little bit, but launching a new rating system integrated into the pathway to support level-based play 
uh, is very important for us moving forward. Beautiful segue, because I wanted to then tap into the world tennis number, and you can give us some more background globally as to its impact. And obviously, that's been a big talking point here in Australia, is uh, the decision to go with uh, UTR as a, a rating and, and ranking. And that's drawn a lot of commentary. But as you mentioned, you've gone down the ITF world tennis number. Can you just tell us how you've rolled that in and and just give some of the background to uh, its, its global uh, presence? Yeah, no, I appreciate that question. Um, we've actually, uh, the USTA has been on the ITF steering committee for almost four or five years. We've been on there um, for the world tennis number uh, with the French Federation uh, and the British, the LTA, uh, while, we, uh, while we've developed the world tennis number. Um, just as a kind of a global update to share with you, there's probably 100 plus member nations that have signed an agreement to share clean data and support the world tennis number now. Uh, there's about 10 countries that have gone live, 54 that are sharing data, and probably, like I said, 140 that have signed on uh, and plan to launch in the future. That really translates into kind of 1.2 million public WTNs in the system over 2 million player records and 18 million match records. So my point of all that is there's a lot of data and a huge tennis community out there uh, that's being connected through the world tennis number. Uh, another piece that was interesting to us on the global level, uh, it is currently the number two selection criteria uh, for ITF world junior events. Um, so that's very important for our better players. Uh, and then a cool thing uh, with the ITF is just the amount of tools and resources they're going to have digitally for players and parents and coaches to kind of, you know, have access to stats and head to head, a game zone and an online searchable community. So we didn't have any of that in the U.S. Uh, within our system as a resource to our players. So that global connection uh, with the WTN was very important to start gaining access to some of those resources. It's really our shared mission to grow and develop tennis around the globe with the ITF. Um, so that was kind of a given. We want to be a part of this world largest tennis community. And then also it allows the USTA to have our own clean data, uh, which is very, very important in creating a better pathway for our players, being able to track patterns, uh, being able to look at, you know, certain habits with our players and be able to provide better uh, competition, a better pathway was important. So those are just some of the key elements that we looked at with the World Tennis Number. Well, as an outsider uh, looking in, and you're uh, more closely uh, attuned to it, it would just make sense for everyone globally to be on the, uh, that same page. So that, that's an interesting development. So why was it important then to, to support the ITF? And then how exactly are you integrating it into your competitive play? You know, I can really move forward on how we're integrating it. And, and just the way we look at that um, is this is a rating tool right? Uh, we're not basing everything in our competition around it. It's just another tool in our toolbox uh, to really help our players progress uh, and look at their performance. Um, it's really important here we integrate it. As I mentioned, it's our own data. Yep. It's integrated into our digital system. Uh, and it's a tool that our players will be able to look at with their player profile within their system and be able to track it compared to their ranking. Uh, compared to any other uh, events they have, that's all going to be in one place. Um, so we're really excited about that integration. Um, we also, World Tennis Number, I think is really important for us to complement our new structure, as I, as I mentioned. Um, with our ranked uh, player, that seven level that I talked about, uh, really our rankings, our national standings list is still our number one criteria when selecting and seeding players uh, in our top events. Um, but the World Tennis number and 23 will be a number two criteria 
uh, to really help with some seeding, some selection, some team events, uh, looking at outliers, that type of thing. So it'll be used as a tool to support uh, basically uh, our ranked events. And then finally, I'm super excited really about entry-level and intermediate play um, because I think the World Tennis Number can be used uh, in ways to support more team competition, as I said, an entry level, more grouping and seating, depending on age level and skill, this could be behind the scenes. Uh, and then we've also developed a product called a WTM play event um, to really just allow players to go in with a rating and really stay in that space the entire pathway if they want to, never going into that rank space. So in, in saying all that, Tracy, there's a, there's a huge incentive to play here, isn't there? I mean, most people, when pull this back, and we've had so many discussions here, I mean, a lot of feedback has come back to me, whether it's WTN, UTR, ranking, rating. At the end of the day, your tennis does the talking. You get out there and play and you play. Some haven't quite seen it as simply as that, because I suppose once you go from just participating and if you've got some talent where you then become more into the competitive pathway in the performance area where you actually want to see yourself tracking in the right direction and you're actually making some progress, a ranking nationally is still really important. So in essence, I mean, those two working together, you know, should be able to produce probably the, what the best outcome for a player and knowing where they sort of sit in the sport. That's our plan. And that's the way we feel. You know, I honestly don't know if they're, again, it's about tools to measure and support the development of player. Uh, and what I mentioned about our pathway, we hope that there's there could be players that always play rating events and never even want to play a ranking event. You know, there, there's a lot of ways to move up through the system. But this is where we feel like uh, from our research and data is the best direction to go. And, and we're, we're very excited about it. The numbers that have come back so far, uh, most of our uh, play is up 20 to 30 percent this year, uh, particularly in our lower levels, level seven, level six, level five. And that's what we're focused on. Um, so, so we're super excited about it. And just finally, obviously, we have a lot of Aussie kids that, you know, go in the college pathway, which is a, a great entrance into the sport in getting ed an education as well, coming into the pros a little bit more mature. But where does uh, collegiate tennis fall uh, within the pathway and, and how does the, the WTN impact uh, collegiate tennis? Right. I do think it's important to remember that we just launched the, the WTN uh, a, almost a month ago. So, uh, one one strategy we had was really let it kind of play into the market. We haven't, you know, like I said, it's not in our rules and regulations until 23. We've been letting providers and players kind of see how it, how effective it is and how accurate it is. And we've had really good results so far. So I just want to emphasize the point that we're just kind of getting it into the market at this point. And I think that the collegiate um, side is also doing that. Uh, we have a strategic alliance, uh, the USTA does with the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. Uh, we do things like coaches education, uh, support growth in communities. We, we're actually running the NCAA level one, twos, and, and three at the campus, at the campus in Lake Nona next year. So we run events with them and we share data with them. So at this point, all college match results uh, from 21 have been added to the world tennis number as well as all uh, collegiate player data. And then there's also, like I mentioned, a variety of tools um, that coaches can use for recruiting and managing their team. So the way we see it right now, you know, we're in constant communication with college coaches, with private coaches. We're in the phase of educating and letting them know what this is about and how it's integrated in our pathway. So we just see it. I think we all see it as a powerful tool moving forward uh, to be able to support collegiate tennis. 
such a, a different landscape, America, compared to Australia. And, you know, fighting for eyeballs to play uh, tennis in America. When we think of America here, we think of, you know, the four big codes, the NFL, the NBA, ice hockey, uh, baseball. But you've got such a vast country, a much bigger population. Anything outside of the, the four big national codes, everyone's sort of fighting for that space to attract participants. What is the, the, the biggest challenge within that? Because I suppose you can never just take it for granted that, you know, kids are going to uh, choose tennis as their their given sport. No, I mean, that's a great question. And it's something I think all federations grapple with, as you said, right now. From our perspective, uh, we see um, we're able to get into the school system early um, before a lot of other sports. So we've really focused on our schools program and community and just trying to make sure we have tennis accessible to as many players as we can. Uh, we're probably not where we want to be yet, but that's certainly where we've put a lot of attention. Uh, I will tell you, being in in rooms with other sports in the U.S., they're often jealous at kind of what I just mentioned, this ability that we have to have products and programs to keep players in the game that may not be shooting for a college scholarship or a pro uh, career, like high school players. We have a program in the U.S. called Tennis on Campus where players aren't playing Division One or two or three, but they can still play recreationally. So for a lot of these other sports, it's you're on the traveling team, you're on one pathway, that's it for you. There's not a lot of other opportunities. But with tennis, we have this huge, I guess I could use the word opportunity again, to really engage these players, keep them playing, and keep them in our system uh, more so than some other sports. So I think that's something that that we'll be focusing on in the future. Tracy Davies from the uh, USTA. I'd love you to weigh into that. WTN versus UTR. It's been a big topic of discussion here in Australia this year. The first serve, SEN, at gmail.com. Send us your feedback in longer form uh, during the week. Uh, all thanks to Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist. That is Asti Tennis Courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. You can check out aste.com.au. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve. Your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. Uh, Paul in Mornington's been good enough to give us a call on our last little stretch here. G'day, Paul. How are you, BP? Going well, thank you. What's on the menu? Oh, BP, I, look, I, I love your work with the first serve. And I remember a couple of years ago, uh, you were saying that there was a young Australian denying him because uh, he'll climb up the rankings and uh, he's, he's one on the move. And uh, and that person is Alexi Popperin. Yep. And and I followed Alexi and uh, yeah he's great he's got the big serve and the big forehand and he's done well at a, a couple of big events including our our uh, our slam um, but BP what do you think Alexi needs to do or can do to move up the rankings I think he's got to add some extra dimensions if you don't add layers in this game if you're too one dimensional you just get fanned out I mean players are playing with so much variety now I mean look at a Carlos Elcarez and Aaron from Airport West on the Texas Elcarez progression uh, stalled slightly on the hard courts not suited as much I mean my thinking is he won I mean Miami earlier in the year you just don't have it your own way every single week this is tough competitive one-on-one uh, combat every week <laughs> from a tennis perspective and you just can't be at the the top of the tree firing on all cylinders you've got to be in physically good shape and um, you know everyone gets their turn uh, so to speak and, and and post once Nadal and uh, Djokovic end up going and then you know I mean and Federer's well on the last little stretch now it's going to be extremely open but Alexi's got the big serve big forehand he's got to get forward more 
uh, just needs to add a bit more variety to his game. I mean, blokes that can you know slice effectively. So I think there's just got to be some more dimensions. He's a, he's been at the Moritoglu Academy, uh, which has got a great reputation. Had a lot of different coaches across the journey, Paul. Uh, but look, every player will have a peak and then they'll stall for a bit. But the good thing is he's only, what, 22, 23. So he's got a lot of time on his side to uh, build his game. We've got a big uh, library of content at the first serve. Not only our show here on a Monday night, which you can listen back to if you miss it live. We've got Aussies Only, uh, the latest edition dropping on the weekend uh, with Jed Setzer in the chair, catching up with Steve Baldus. What a career in tennis. Junior Wimbledon champion. He's now running uh, W Sport and Media, looking after a lot of uh, our up-and-coming tennis players. Uh, The Grind, uh, Alex Johnson has put out the latest edition last night, uh, talking about all the Australian Pro Tour events. The SA scene, uh, great chat with Eddie Winter. What an impressive young man at just 17 who's over in uh, Canada uh, this week. And of course, crunching the numbers, what are you doing here? Play USA. That's all part of what we offer. You can catch that by subscribing to The First Serve through your preferred podcast platform or at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. 90-minute edition of The First Serve next week as we build up to day one of the US Open. Hit them beautifully. Have a great week. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.